and welcome to the Obvious Plant Podcast. I'm Audrey. And I'm banned from every Denny's diner. We're back again because we beseech you to let us teach you. I've never even been to a Denny's. They just saw me walk by one day and said, no, never him. What is our education formation today, dear co-host? Let's see. Today's weather will be mostly art with a slight chance of religion. What? We're, we're, we're going to talk about art and religion. Oh, okay. Let's do that now. Audrey, are you artistic? No, I wasn't vaccinated as a child. Don't be so modest. Your fan fictions are practically artistic masterpieces. I would argue, but modesty is a lie we tell ourselves to numb the pain of wasted potential. Yes, I am very talented. Do go on. Well, I think now would be a perfect time to go over some art history. What a boring combination of words. Well, prepare to be dazzled by facts. Art was invented millions of years ago when a cave dweller painted most of a saber-toothed tiger upon a boulder to warn nearby tribes of its presence. The piece was left unfinished because the tiger in question ate the artist to death. And then the tiger gained the artist's powers. Bingo. Art is alive inside all living creatures, so one's artistic sensibilities can be absorbed by another devouring that artist. This is where the phrase starving artist comes from. Does this work with eating anything else? Only coffee. I knew it. Don't talk to me until I've absorbed the damn souls of my little dirt beans. Ha ha! Ha! Anyway... The tiger did not pursue the art any further, as its parents could not pay for art school. Now let's jump ahead a few million years to the mid-15th century and meet a young fellow by the name of Leonardo da Vinci. It is nice to meet you, sir. Young Leonardo. Wow, what a firm handshake you have. Um, young Leonardo discovered the art of branding. Look at my art, but also remember my name, he'd scream in the streets. Okay, said the people. And we still know his name to this day, even after his inevitable tiger mauling. Too true. And then what happened? The great artists started eating themselves so no others could absorb their sacred power. I thought this quote from Spain's King Philip III was quite insightful. Quote, where did the artists go? Did they eat themselves? That would be wild. And it was. Art was scarce for a long while until another special Spaniard came along. His name was... I'm on the edge of my seat because I am enthralled by stories of art history and I have bad posture. Salvador Dali. Salvador had heard tales of starving artists, but never really gave it much thought, as he really wanted to be a detective. While sleuthing outside on a particularly hot summer day with his magnifying glass, Salvador happened upon a wristwatch, discarded on the sidewalk. Hmm, a mystery, he purred in Spanish. Or a clue. Or a suspect. I don't know. I am still new to this whole detective thing. And as he examined the watch with his magnifying glass, the hot sun intensified through its lens and melted the clock face. What? Yeah. So he did this three more times, got ants everywhere, and now he's a famous artist living inside the stomach of a tiger who swallowed him whole. I thought Salvador Dali was dead. No, that is a common misconception. He was eaten by a tiger, yes, as all artists are, but the tiger did not chew him up to death. Huh. I guess it just goes to show. I did not know Salvador Dali was alive. It sure does. Okay, okay, okay. I get it. Art history is full of historical art facts. Whatever. Fine. But what is art? Audrey, that is such a stupid question. We're here to tell the people about art. 
No, no, I mean, what is art? Oh, well, now it's a very good question. Art is all around us. Art could be the smile of a baby watching clouds roll by. Art can be a bird softly singing its sacred hymn to fuck. Art could be the odorless toxin filling this very room. What toxin? Any toxin. Art is everywhere. Art can't be just anything. Art is a painting, a sculpture, a poem, a film, a song. Okay, hotshot, I dare you to give me one example of any of those. Top Gun is a film. Go on. Highway to the Danger Zone is a song from the film Top Gun. If you say so. The bloody portrait of Tom Cruise's character from Top Gun on my stepson's bedroom door is technically a painting. I think this proves my point. No, it proves my point. Art is all around us, even if it's funky Top Gun flags for freaks. Audrey, this is a classic case of artistic confusion. What is that? It sounds serious. Oh, because it is. Artistic confusion occurs in 60% of adults and 100% of art museum attendees. The phenomenon takes hold when a person walks up to a classical painting and cries. Why am I doing this? They will wonder aloud through heavy sobs, clutching the collar of the nearest person. Am I dying? Is Mona Lisa fucking murdering me right now? The other person will reply, please let go. This is a nice shirt. But the artistic confusion rages on and the victim eventually succumbs to death by tiger. Oh no, that poor person's shirt. Oh my, yes. Wow, that's wild. Art is so punk, my dude. Is it? Look at me. I'm kicking my boots just thinking about punk art. What is it about art you find so punk, Audrey? It's just so cool. For instance, right now I'm thinking about bringing down the government and shit, but instead of doing that, I'll doodle a bird doing a mighty handsome metaphor. Like a political cartoon. No, it's punk art. Please stop kicking like that. No, punk art, punk art. You're just so close to my face. I am a punk artist. I create for the people and destroy all that which belongs to the man. With an impressive grace, I beseech thee to behold my masterpiece. You're holding a stack of papers. This is my punk fiction. Maybe instead of reading your punk fiction, you could share some facts about punk art. Chapter one, my friend Banksy. You don't know Banksy. Of course I know Banksy, for I am punk art. Hey Banksy, pick up the phone. I know you're there. I'm sorry for what I did to you, Banksy. Again, you, Banksy, are my friend. Goodbye, Banksy. What did you do to Banksy? I'd rather not talk about it. Is there more? Perhaps you have actual facts for this, our educational podcast? No, this is just the transcription of one voicemail to Banksy followed by 52 blank pages all clamped together with a plastic clip people use to seal unfinished bags of chips. I've never needed to use it for its intended purpose. Well, I've learned nothing substantial about punk art. Thank you for wasting everyone's time. This segment has been insightful as hell to the true punk artists out there. Punk art! Let's move on to actually learning things. Art is often rife with symbolism and metaphor. For example, an artist could paint a horse, but that horse might represent something else, like a cow. Yes. Perhaps the artist just isn't very good at painting cows, so decided to draw a horse instead. And if the artist was nice, he would write the word cow onto the horse so his audience would then know that it is in fact a cow. But most artists don't do that. They prefer to be subtle. 
A painting might be about love, for example, but just writing the word love onto a canvas isn't good enough for them. They have to hide the meaning in a picture of bees and flowers or something stupid like that. Basically, every piece of art is a more obtuse and pretentious version of Where's Waldo, forcing you to meticulously comb through its visual appearance to find the true red and white stripe meaning within. Thankfully, many symbolic depictions recur throughout history, which makes it easier to understand what a particular artist is saying. For example, eggs have long been a symbol of fertility, so if you see an egg in a picture, it probably means fertility. The Denny's by my house is obsessed with fertility. The posters in the windows also feature sizzling bacon, which must represent my lifelong ban. You're always bringing up the Denny's ban. Get over it. Exile is just so hurtful. Another common symbol is the sign of the cross, which of course is a reference to Animal Crossing, a popular Nintendo game originally created for the N64. Man, so many paintings are about this video game. It really is one of the most popular motifs. Other recurring symbols include the raven, which symbolizes death, fire, which symbolizes anger or destruction, and the moon, which symbolizes the stupid moon, a completely worthless celestial body that looms over us and will thankfully soon be destroyed, as we all know. You know, I'm just now realizing that a good painting would be a picture of the moon that is on fire because it would symbolize how much I hate it and want it to be destroyed. I love this idea. This is a great idea. Hold up. I just turned over the 50-something stack of blank pages from earlier, and there's totally writing on the other side. My writing. Oh, that's a weird coincidence? Yes, a coincidence. Follow up on that. What is your latest fanfiction revolving around? My latest fanfiction is Backstreet Boys. The, the boy band? The man music band, BSB. How do you make a fanfiction about a musical group? I do it with all of my favorite bands, which is music, which is also art. In this collection of essays, the Backstreet Boys go to war against each other. Oh dear. Go on. The year is 1637, Shakespeare times, and the BSB has accidentally traveled back in time and don't know how to get back to the current time, so they're all like, fuck it, we live here now, and create lives for themselves in England 400 years ago. Huh. Okay. They all get different jobs. Nick is the town doctor. AJ is an apple salesman. Kevin makes wheelbarrows. Brian also makes wheelbarrows, and he and Kevin are rivals. And Howie has turned into a mouse. His profession is a mouse? Yes. Interesting. Anyways, all of them are cast in the same play because they are all also actors, and this causes a disaster because they all want to be the star except Howie, who is literally just a mouse and no one can understand him. What happens? Do they fight? Who sells better wheelbarrows, Kevin or Brian? Definitely Kevin, and yes, they fight. On the first day of rehearsal, each boy arrives with an army, except Howie, who has no idea what's going on and just eats some cheese. Oh, no. Chaos ensues. Kevin lights wheelbarrows on fire and sends them crashing into AJ's army. Brian puts a bunch of wheelbarrows in a net and then drops them on Kevin's army and his own accidentally. Howie jumps out the window into a lake. Eventually, the theater burns down, and the play director is mad at the BSB, who is mostly dead. Wow. Um, that's morbid. Do you hate the Backstreet Boys? No, they are my favorite boys. That's probably all anyone ever needs to know about art. 
It's more than I needed to know. Let's dive right into our final topic of the day, religion. Finally, something we can all agree on. Amen. To form a sense of community, a large group of people following the same religion may routinely congregate at places of worship. That's right. Whether it's a church, a monastery, a temple, or the compound where Audrey and I met, places of worship come in all shapes, sizes, and number of windowless rooms. But when they do have windows, they are often stained. This is because angels fly into the windows at full speed and their colorful innards splat all over. Gross. Yes, angels are the dumb birds of heaven, or as scientists call it, sky two. We worship below sky one, so we may ascend to sky two. Now most of us already know the deal with mainstream church setups. You've got pews, old people, one young person with a very clean acoustic guitar, and the good book itself. Ah yes, the great Gatsby. But I recently got to thinking, do other religions have different setups? Well, indeed they do. A Christian church may have rows of pews facing a pulpit, but a Jewish temple will often have a bouncy house in the center of the room. Of course, mosques often have a pocket dimension containing smaller mosques. It's mosques all the way down, baby. But what about those smaller fringe religions? Well... Quiet, you. I'm segueing to myself. There happens to be an odd little place of worship right across the street from my apartment building, so I did my own sleuthing. Oh, that's great. Let's hear it. I observed from some bushes across the street. You probably could have just walked in. Churches are typically very welcoming of newcomers and happy to answer any questions you have about the religion. Nonsense. Although I wasn't wearing my glasses on this moonless evening, I could tell that it was cop prayer night for everyone entering the church was in uniform. Police have their own prayer night? Hmm. Fascinating. What else did you learn? I worked up the courage to move in closer and found that the windows to the church were actually blacked out, which is what happens when a demon flies into a church window. Of course. I carefully cracked open one of the windows so I could sneak my peeks, and what did I find? All of the traditional trappings of a holy cop prayer night. Friendly cops chit-chatting in uniform, shy cops standing around a snack table with chips and celery, good cops handcuffing bad cops, bold cops dancing in various states of undress, whip cops cracking their whips, DJ cops blaring industrial goth music, and so forth. What do you mean by and so forth? A whole lot of weird moves. Uh, I am confident in guessing that it was less of a cop prayer night and more of an extremely specific brand of sex dungeon. Audrey, you live across the street from a sex dungeon. I know that, but this was next door to the sex dungeon that's across the street from my apartment. Then you live across the street from two sex dungeons. Ah, there goes the neighborhood. The power of religion is demonstrated to we mere mortals by way of miracles. Miracles happen all the time. The sun, for instance. What did it do to get up there? Miracles, man. It's crazy. Uh, the sun is not a miracle. The sun just kind of hangs in the center of our solar system and burns. An example of a miracle would be uh, like the biblical story of Jesus turning water into wine. Or Job surviving being swallowed by a whale. Shut up about your wife already. And when I add sparkling water to my wine, buddy, that to me is a miracle. Again, that's not a miracle. That's just a mixing stuff it's together. It's a miraculous mouthfeel. I'm sure it's tasty if it's a thing you keep doing on 
purpose, but it's still easily explainable. Miracles are mysterious demonstrations of power, only explained by some sort of uh, divine intervention. The only intervention I've witnessed was the time my family sat me down and tried to talk me out of drinking so much bubble wine, so I convinced them it was just grape-flavored sparkling water. Please, Audrey, we're, we're, we're speaking of religious things. Take this seriously. Before we understood climates and weather patterns, natural disasters were seen as miraculous messages from many different gods. I have here some baking soda, vinegar, and a paper mache also volcano. Also the time I pointed at my playground bully and seven swans suddenly carried him away. No. Wait, what? How did you do that? I'm telling you, miracles are everywhere. The playground bully, however, is nowhere, and that's a fact. Did the police know about this? They knew what they could know. His parents must have been terrified. They knew what they could know. Okay. So what are you doing with that baking soda and vinegar? Nothing. You were going to make a baking soda and vinegar volcano and call it a miracle, weren't you? Nope. Then what? It's my favorite snack. Your favorite snack is baking soda and vinegar slurped out of a paper mache volcano? Yes. Show me. I will. Another example of a miracle is when a whale eats a wife, but she's just Show fine. Show me now or I'll point for swans. Okay. That looks appetizing, but it's no bubble wine. Billiard! Today's podcast is free for you, the listeners, all thanks to Ants. Our sponsor is Ants? That's right, capital A ants. Ants fear neither devils nor gods, so spice up your picnic with ants. Did an ant write this copy? Perhaps. It's very small and hard to read with my human eyes. Do you always carry around with that magnifying glass? Yes, just in case there's a mystery or Salvador Dali lookalike contest. Okay, then. Wait, there's more. Cover yourselves in honey, use popsicle sticks, or anything really. We promise you'll love it. Ants, we're already in the house. That's it. How much did they give us to read that? One berry. Are you still trying not to throw up from the baking soda and vinegar snack? <sighs> no. Hey, Audrey. What if God was one of us? Just a stranger on a bus? Yeah, you know, just trying to make his way home. I'm afraid I don't have the answer to that, but we do have the answers to various other religious questions that were asked by our readers. Listeners, that's right. We asked all of you to send us your questions about God, and wow, did we get a lot of responses. Yes, it seems that all of you just don't know anything about anything. Just so dumb. I cannot believe how dumb you all are. Anywho, Cheryl in Pittsburgh asks, Why do bad things happen to good people? Wow, just going right for the throat, aren't we? Yes, Cheryl be bringing the ruckus. This is one of those big questions, but the answer is actually quite simple. You see, Cheryl, according to the Bible, God created the earth in one week. Just a few days for a whole universe. He didn't even do any revisions. That's right, he essentially pulled an all-nighter hackathon for seven days, sipping monster energy drink and furiously coding the intricacies of the universe. As a result... We all live in what amounts to an unedited rough draft. And that is why things suck all the time. Yes, things are terrible all the time. And that is because our universe was essentially rushed to market. 
A typo here. Boom, cancer. A programming bug there. Crash, a catastrophic typhoon that kills thousands. Whoops. Oh, well. Next question. Jerome in Bakersfield, California asks, The Pope supposedly represents God on Earth. Why is his hat so big? Ah, good question. You see, Jerome, the Pope's hat is really big because it serves as an antenna to heaven, so he can talk directly to God. There's a rumor that the entire inside of the hat is lined with aluminum foil. That rumor is true. Also, there is a squirrel under the hat that lives on the Pope's head and is wearing a smaller, squirrel-sized Pope hat. But that is just the Pope's personal pet. It serves no practical purpose. Fredge in Rochester wants to know, what does God look like? Is he wearing a denim vest? Hmm, a denim vest. Well, if anyone could pull off such a ridiculous look, it would be God. But no, he likely does not wear a denim vest. While most images depict him in a long flowing robe, modern theologians have begun to rethink this depiction. Yeah, so God is essentially the original dad, right? He made Adam and Eve and all of us, right? Which means he probably dresses like a dad, right? We're talking cargo shorts, Crocs, a hat that says golf on it. Perhaps an Eric Clapton t-shirt. Or a free shirt that he got at the office fun run. Or a shirt with his favorite sports team on it, which is the New Jersey Devils. Class rings. No socks, even though he really should. A smile thinly veiling the constant thought of what if. Or maybe he wears no shirt at all. Basically, what we're saying is picture your dad, except 200% more wise. That's what God looks like. It also looks like this segment is over. Praise dad. I'll just shred the rest of these stupid questions so I never have to think about them ever again. I wish I could do that with my repeated thoughts of self-loathing. Me too, Audrey. Me too. Let's dish about prayer. A prayer is a dance between one's tongue and their deity of choice. Yes, to make out with God is enough to knock anyone's socks off. That's not what I mean. Right, but it is what I mean. You've kissed God? And these lips have never been washed since. You're you're drinking water right now. Water made holy by my God lips. I'm confused. God has a mouth with... Teeth, lips, tongue, the whole shebang? Damn Skippy. Why did they never teach us this at the compound? I don't know, but throughout my research for all these podcasts, I found out the compound neglected to tell us a ton of stuff. Really? After we paid them everything we had to teach us the holy administrator's good all truth? <laughs> like what? Remember when we were talking about music? Turns out the song we sang at each other in the song pit was actually a mantra designed to rewire our brains. And we weren't singing, we were screaming. Mm, Well, that just doesn't make sense. Is this another one of your fan fictions? No. And when we looked up law facts, I found that legally speaking, our vacation at the compound was technically a kidnapping. How could it be a kidnapping if our time in the song pit made me remember that I loved staying at the compound on my own volition? I'm sorry, Audrey, but I'm not buying it. It just doesn't add up. Okay, that's fair. But I found the weirdest thing of all when I was working on our segment for Big... According to the Guinness Book of World Records, the biggest whale-shaped superyacht was owned by the Holy Administrator, and he used it for kidnapping the loved ones of his followers to further isolate them from those who'd stand in the way of his grand design. 
I do not even know where you're going with this, nor why you're wiggling your eyebrows at me as if to say, hint, hint. Oh no, my brain itches from all of the learning, and I'm trying to scratch it away with my face. Anyway, just thought I'd bring it up. We've made six of these episodes, and you've managed to drag us off topic each time. I don't even know how you do it. I just say thoughts out loud as soon as I think of them because it hurts to hold them in my head. Well, this is it. Our final episode. What will happen to us while we wait for further approval to infect the minds of strangers with even more spellbinding educational content? That depends entirely on the judgment of exactly three young strangers, or influencers, as I am told they prefer to be called. I hope they like us. I hope they also subscribe us. It's out of our hands now, dear friend. We've done all we could. We could have researched using Google instead of Bing.com. No, we've done everything. So with that, dear listeners, we're signing off. I hope we meet again on the other side. Yes, we are dying. No, 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 we're not dying. We are not dying, but we are without life. What? Sorry, I blacked out for a second. Are, are, are we done? No, we have to sign off one last time. Oh, okay, good. Great. Let's do it. Readers. Listeners. Thanks, thanks for, for learning, learning to listen, listen so, so you could, could listen, listen to learn. learn. Well, that's it. Yep, we're out of facts. Yep, yep. Yep. Should we leave? Can we do that now? Surely. Now that we've finished our work. Yes, surely. You first. I'll tell you what. How about instead of leaving, we find more facts on more subjects so we can spread our expertise to even more people? You know, just in case. Yes, we should. Just in case, I mean. Great. It's decided then. But as you know, we can't just create another set of these podcasts without first recharging with our annual sleep. Of course I know about the annual sleep. I'm ready whenever you are. That's probably due to the leaking toxin I mentioned earlier. Wait, no, no. You were being serious about a gas leak? All right, time to sleep. See you on the other side. See you on the other side.